0: Okay, so, we've been doing a series called No Margins. has everyone found it so far? Good? Good, so if you weren't here for um, any of the series and if this is your first time, so essentially, um, the No Margins um, segment has basically been about how there's different parts of our lives. Like in school, you basically learn that you are not supposed to write in margins. And that's how we treat our lives sometimes with God, where we basically push things into the margins and we say, God, we don't want you to participate. We, w- we don't want to necessarily have your narrative or your definition over this part of my life. Um, so I'm going to put this into the margins. And we basically saw that there's so many different parts of our life that God actually wants to be involved with. So over the weeks, we spoke about what does it look like to involve God in your family, in your finance, in sex and relationships, in your friendship, career, and etc. And something else that we also spoke about is how the world has adopted this um, paradigm that says like attracts like. So essentially, you hang out with people and you only interact with people that are similar to you. And Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 28, um, verse 19 he said um, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit so us as christians we are meant to interact with people who are from a different racial group a different ethnic group even people who perhaps might even have um, a different economic or political background and maybe even opposing views on brexit or Extinction Rebellion, for example. But in order for us to achieve this, we have to jump over our social indifference that you know, so often plagues us nowadays. But I believe there's actually an area that we haven't discussed that actually we push into the margins more than any other area, where we actually say, God, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't want you to talk about this. Um, I- I'm okay if you didn't check my record. And that area is our past. It's the things we've done, it's the things we were, it's the people we were, and it's the things that we fought. And the reason why it's so important to involve God, especially in the narrative of your past, is because if we don't actually get true healing in our past, then it can come back as a form of trauma that we place in our mind over and over again. Or perhaps we have a fear or paranoia that says, oh my gosh, what about if people knew? and the reality is you know the inheritance of a Christian the inheritance of a believer is not fear of exposure or it's not trauma but it's a covering of our wrongs that Jesus Christ paid for with our that Jesus Christ paid for when he died to our sins and i remember um when i was actually um, a teenager and i really felt like i messed up so many times and i thought i did a lot of things wrong um, and I remember there was one day, I think I was in my room and I was just kind of crying because I just felt so much shame and I felt really guilty. And um, in church, I knew verses like, there's therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I knew verses that says, I am the righteousness of Christ. Um, but honestly, I was still um, struggling with a lot of shame in particular. And I remember the Lord saying to me, um, he literally just whispered to me and he said, Wale, who would you be if you, if you never sinned? or if you never made a mistake. And I was like, God, what type of question is that? And I was like, I can't answer that question because, you know, we know my track record. You know, I've messed up many times. And he said, honestly, answer the question, who would you be? And then honestly, I I wrote down a list, and I was like, mm, I will actually be a person who will wear um, so many colors. I said, I will be a person that wears so many colors. I will smile a lot more. I'll probably spontaneous sing and dance. I literally wrote a list. Um, and I'll probably be m- much more interactive with people and stuff. And the Lord said, okay, that's the person I want you to be. And I was like, what? And he said, because in my eyes, it's a if you've never sinned. You are blameless in my sight. And that's the reality of when we say yes to Jesus, that we are blameless in God's sight because we are hidden in Jesus. And Jesus who died to sin, Jesus who also defeated sin, when we say yes to him, that becomes our reality, that we no longer have to be a person that's plagued by our past, by the torment that happened, but we can be free in him. And for some of you guys, you know that my favorite extract in the whole Bible is John four, and we actually referred to it um, a few weeks ago, but we talked about it from Jesus' perspective, how Jesus was a person who jumped over so many social um, indifferences and so many barriers but I want us to look at it from the Samaritan women's perspective. So we could go to John 4. And I just want to give a disclaimer. So this will be quite different from like a usual talk or preach. And um, we're really just going to dive into the Bible. So there'll be different times when I'm going to pause um, to just echo some words. So when you're there, say amen. Wow, that was so weak. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. So if you're reading from NLT, I'll try to forgive you, but you know, you know, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Okay. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, and had given to his um, and had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired, and. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples have gone into the town to buy food. Um, so let me just quickly pause there. So this kind of, um, when I was reading this extract, it actually reminded me of a funny story. I remember, I think it was last year, I was in Leicester, and I was, it was actually around yeah, noon. It was, you know, 12 p.m and i was going for lunch with one of my friends and as we were going from lunch um there was a girl um i think she maybe came out from her student accommodation or something like that um, but she dressed in she was dressed in her pajamas and she had like a pink robe and she had like a head tie and she was wearing uggs and this was like literally in the middle of the day and she just went to um, tesco and my friend and i we, we were just smiling because this girl honestly didn't care like she just had so much boldness and I was like, wow, like that level of boldness is so amazing and she didn't care if anyone saw her. But this particular extra that we just read about the Samantha woman, sh- the Samantha woman would have been the opposite of that essentially. The Samantha woman would have been someone who perhaps, you know, if Tesco closes at midnight, the Samantha woman would have got that eleven fifty nine, would have wore a cap, would have, you know, tried to hide herself and um, while she got her gray because she didn't want to see um, people. And let's go to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And I don't know if many people notice, but when she says, You are a Jew and I am Samaritan woman, how can you give me, how can you ask me for a drink? She was actually being very sarcastic. So one commentator says it's like this you Jews treat us like dirt until you want something and then all of a sudden we're good enough for you. So this was a sarcastic comment that she was saying to Jesus but Jesus obviously so gracious he wasn't interested in winning the argument was more interested in winning her and he says in verse 10 Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water so essentially he's using this analogy of water to to um, lift up her thinking from something material to her spiritual realities and let's go to verse 11. it says sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the world is deep where can you get this living water Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the world and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? So it might seem a bit random, like why all of a sudden is she mentioning Jacob? It's because this also shows the state of her heart. This was someone who was very insecure. So there was this argument between the Samaritans and the Jews. Basically, the Samaritans um, claimed that we too are ancestors of Joseph. So essentially, your ancestors of Jacob, because we know that um, Jacob was Joseph's father. And they said, "We are just as legitimate as you. We are your, we are ancestors of Jacob as well." And essentially, she was being defensive because she thought she was speaking to someone that was going to undervalue her. So she felt like she needed to prove herself. And in verse 12, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be first again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never first. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is Jesus saying? He's basically using this example of water to say that this water that you drink is like everything else in the world that if you drink it, if you participate with it, perhaps, you know, for an instant, perhaps for a brief moment, it will give you a release. it give you a high, it might give you some pleasure, but it's only, it will only last for a moment. And I feel like that relates to so many things in our life where we look at different things to quench our thirst. It could literally be from anything, from our careers to perhaps pornography, to another scoop of ice cream, to Netflix. <laughs> where we feel like, God, there's something that's going on with me, but I actually don't want to deal with it. And I remember um, last year's world where there was so many things um, that I was processing where I was really just like, it wasn't necessarily about imprint. I wasn't stressed about imprint, but I was just stressed about all the external things and all the legalities and stuff like that. And literally, every time I come back um, home, I'll come back to my flat. um, I wouldn't want to message my friends. I wanted to be by myself. Um, I really couldn't be bothered um, to speak to anyone. I just wanted to go home, run home and put on Netflix and just binge a whole series. And I remember I used to watch series after series after series, and it was almost like an escape for me because I felt like at least, at least in some weird type of way, I can vicariously live their reality instead of addressing mine. And um I remember there was one series that um I enjoyed so much. And after the series I was just clapping, I was like, woo! Yes, yes, that was so good, that was so, so good. Um but I realized that my reality had not changed. <laughs> but I just spent hours watching this series. Um and then I got into a state where I was like, wow, stressed all over again, wow, I was anxious all over again. Um, And the Lord just said to me, he was like, how come you didn't come to me? And when he said that, I was like, it's true. Like, it would have taken less time for me to actually get peace, to actually find joy. And the fact is, if I came to you rather than Netflix, you would have offered me a a redemptive perspective and solution for my stress and worries. And that's just an example of how so often we might actually go to different, um, if I was to use the analogy of water pots, we go to so many different water pots that could try and quench our thirst, to give us a sense of joy, to give us a sense of assurance. But Jesus Christ says that if you come to me, I will give you springs of living water that will well inside and it will lead to eternal life. So it will be something that will last forever. And it it will be something that you won't necessarily have to force but was something that would literally would just spring up inside of you. So let's turn to verse 15. Then the woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty "'and have to keep coming here to draw water.' He told her, "'Go and call your husband and come back.' Jesus said to her, "'You are right "'when you say you have no husband.'" Wait, sorry, 17. "'I have no husband,' she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man who you you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So Jesus all of a sudden had taken this conversation from small talk to a DMC where he took it so deep and literally, I like to think of it like Jesus jumped three or four friendship levels. And you know those people, you know, those people that ask you a question that's really personal, and you're like, wow, you're not my boy. (laughs) Like, or you're not my girl, like, we're actually actually not that close for you to ask me that question. And I feel like that's how the Samaritan women would have felt. And let's just see how she responds. So, verse 19, she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So essentially, she does something that we all do, is she changed the subject. And she basically talked about something that was um, this ancient debate between the Jews and the Samaritans in terms of where to worship. And the reason she did this is because even though Jesus Christ was drawn near to her, she felt like she needed to put her defences up. She felt like she needed to put something between her and Jesus. And I feel like this happens so often, especially when we feel like God is approaching us. We put our defences up, and we might ask questions like this. What type of God will allow bad things to happen to good people? Or another question, how can i believe in such a god that has such a conservative view of sex or and sexuality and even though these perhaps might be good questions you know sometimes these questions actually act as deviations from the true heart issue that's that needs to be addressed and for this amount of women she was probably dealing with a sense of shame because of her sexual conduct and her invigality so I can't speak English today, (laughs) I'm going to forget that word, but because of her sexual conduct and because of the rejection she had faced, all of a sudden she started entertaining this argument between the Jews and the Samaritans. And I just want you guys to just think for a second, you know, what's that particular thing that perhaps rushes to you as a form of defense that you put between you and God, especially when you try to talk about, you know, a deep issue? And often, because of what we heard about God and because of what we heard of our, of other Christians, we feel like the minute that, you know, this idea of God, or this idea of Christianity starts to come into play, we have to put our defences up. Because there's this, um, I feel like there's this lie that says that if I invite God in into this area of my life, If I invite God into the most precious parts, the most delicate parts of my identity, then he and maybe even his Christians will take it, smash it until I'm broken and it's irrecoverable. And this is what media and this is what the world portrays. And I would just like to give a disclaimer that the church is not perfect. This church is not perfect. There's no church that's perfect. And the reason why it's not perfect is because every church is filled with broken people. And broken people will let you down. Broken people will say things that will not reflect the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. Even myself and other people in this room, we have said things to other people that we felt like, okay, perhaps it's true, but we didn't reflect the heart of Jesus. But my one assurance is is that Jesus himself knows how to deal with the most delicate and the most precious parts of our stories, of our identity. And even if some people perhaps can't, he knows how to. And my advice is that perhaps if you're in this room and other people have hurt you, it's to literally go back to Jesus and be like, God, can you speak truth into this area of my life? Could you just show me a different perspective? And could you even help me to forgive this person and to show them grace, even though what they said really did hurt me? Even though what they said perhaps seemed very insensitive? Because the fact is that Jesus Christ is coming for one bride. He's not coming for so many, mini brides. He's coming for his church. And even though sometimes the church can hurt you, we are called to each other. And like in every family, family fight, you know, I have my beautiful sisters here. Woo! And it's like, I love them to bits, but sometimes we don't get on. I'll now, like, I will will not now say that, okay, I'm not an Igbaje anymore. Like, I'm leaving my family, and I'm going to join another family. That's not possible. But that's what we do with church, where someone hurts us. So we say, I don't like what they said. I don't like them. I'm leaving that church, and I'm going to join a different community. And we literally bounce from church to church, or perhaps we even bounce from friendship group to friendship group just because... We feel like what they said has really triggered us. But Jesus, being the perfect gentleman, especially when this issue has been um, has been spoken about, he doesn't force her, this Samaritan woman, to address the subject of her husband's, but just goes along with the question of this debate that they were having. So let's go to verse twenty-one. So women, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, the mountains, worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The women said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So my translation of what happened here is, you know, Jesus Christ basically explained um, this ancient debate with the Jews and Samaritans, and this... Samantha woman, she essentially didn't understand. She just like, okay, yeah, um, I don't really get it. But when the Messiah comes, I'm sure he will explain everything to us. So let's go to verse 26. It says, then Jesus, I, the one who's speaking to you, I am he. 27, just then his disciples, sorry, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, "What do you want?" or "Why are you talking with her?" Then leaving her, then leaving her water jar, the women went back to town and said to the people, "Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah?" They came out and made their way towards him. So let me just read that last part again. So come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah They came out of the town and made their way towards him? And what really puzzles me um, about this particular story is that the Samaritan woman came out and she started celebrating and said, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. If someone ran into this room and said, oh my gosh, there's someone outside that told me everything I ever did. Most of us will be thinking and you're happy about that. But for her, she was, she was so astounded. She was like, yeah, come see a guy that told me everything I ever did. So I want us to just imagine this. She will, perhaps was thinking that come see a man who told me everything I ever did, but yet still offered me living water. Someone who still wants a relationship with me. He embraced me. He loved me. Come, guys, come and see him. Someone who saw me at my worst and yet still decided to die for me and to offer me eternal life. And that's what Jesus Christ did for all of us. He knows our worst. He knows our past. He knows our shame. And he says, I still want to offer you living water. I still want to be in a relationship with you. And I feel like there's two ways to deal with shame. And the first way is complete rebellion where you feel like okay I've done a lot of things wrong and almost that shame becomes your identity where you completely rebel from from everything just because you feel like you can't live up to that standard and the second way is complete freedom in Jesus there's only two ways that I've kind of seen in life and I just want to urge every single person to choose Jesus And as I said before, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But you have to be in him. You have to be in a relationship with him. Like a good translation of the same verse, the Passion Translation says this. It says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one who are joined with life union, you have to be in a relationship with him. Or perhaps you even have to say, okay, God, there's this area of my past, there's this area of my story, where every time I think about it, it actually pricks me, it actually cripples me. You know, those particular parts, we have to say, God, Jesus, would you come into it? And would you show me your perspective? Would you show me your narrative? And there's a song that says... um, God, um, take me to a place where I'm dancing upon the waves. And I feel like until we're in that place where we can literally see our stories, that's not something that tra- traumatizes us, but something that we see as signs of God's faithfulness, where I was almost out, but you took me through. Or I was addicted to that, but you helped me to overcome. Then, then these things will carry on replaying in our minds, or perhaps it might carry on being our realities today and um, some of you guys have heard of when I went to um, Brazil um, a few years ago and it really just made such a big impact on me and also particular time when I was in Brazil for like a whole week I had like really bad chest pain and I remember telling my roommates and I said I don't know why this is but I just have so much chest pain and I was like, oh, do you feel like, um, he said, are you struggling with something? I said, no, for some weird reason, I feel like this is a word of knowledge. So essentially, I feel like um, God is telling me that it's someone I'm going to meet with with really bad um, chest pain and that I should pray for him. So literally for the whole week, um, I had this chest pain. I was like, wow, like, God, you must really love this person because the way <laughs> you're just you're just triggering me, like, come on, what's happening? And I remember on the final night, Um, I went to a church and um, I gave a word of knowledge and I said, I feel like there's some people um, with here who have really bad chest pain. And um, I gave the word and I said, um, if you want freedom, if you want healing in that area, please come to the side um, and would love to pray for you. So I came and there was literally like a line of like 30 people. And my friend and I, we prayed for them, and we saw every single person get healed until there was one person, um, and he was the youngest, and he was um, a 16-year-old boy. Um, And I prayed for him, um, and nothing shifted. Like, his chest pain didn't go. Um, And I was like, I don't know what it is. Like, we've seen so many people um, healed. And especially because he was the youngest, I really just had so much compassion for him. Um, And we prayed for him three times and nothing um, shifted. And I was honestly, just internally, I was asking the Holy Spirit, I was was asking God, God, what do we um, do? Like, what's happening? And um, I just felt like God said I should tell him that, tell him I forgive him. And I said, this might sound random, but I feel like God wants you to know that he forgives you. And the minute I said this, this guy literally collapsed into my arms and he was just crying. And it was honestly such a state that um, when he got up, my whole t-shirt was soaked. And it was so emotional that even uh, my translator was just crying so much to just see um, this boy um, just like crying hysterically. And... um, and yeah, and after we and after he got up and finished crying, he literally said like all his chest pain had gone. And I basically asked for his story and he said that, you know, he started getting chest pain um because um he started taking like excessive drugs because his parents got a divorce and he had no other way to deal with it. And he felt like God was so angry at him and um, because of his um because of his drugs that he gave him chest pain, and we know that that isn't what God is like. God doesn't punish people like that. But it was so amazing that God first wanted to know that He forgave him before He actually healed him, because this would have been a thing that if God actually healed him first, he would never have known that. Does God actually forgive me? Does He still want to embrace me? Does He still want to love me? And I feel like um, that perhaps might be some of our reality where we feel like some of the things that have happened to us is because we've gone away from God. And I just want to echo, especially from that story, that that's not the heart of God. And I really feel like God just wants to be glorified in our stories today. So I'm going to ask us to stand up. Yeah, Holy Spirit. You know exactly what we've been through. You know each, um, each person's story in this room. And we ask you right now to just speak your narrative in the name of Jesus. I ask you to speak healing in any area that perhaps has been troubling us, that perhaps has been reoccurring in our minds, and perhaps we feel like you're in place, us right now in the name of Jesus, and help us to be children who are not ashamed, but who can literally dance upon the waves in the name of Jesus. So for each person in this room, you know what that particular thing is for you. And I'm just going to create some time right now for you to just ask the Holy Spirit really simply, God, share me your perspective in this area of my life. I want your healing in this area of my life.